0: Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH because here we go. Welcome to an all new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho. Duro, Parlay, Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always. You know him. He's his co host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com joining the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. The T public store links right there. The Patreon link is right there. Shout out to all our amazing patrons. One tier, $2 a month and a lot of content on the way. Parlay points, blog section, which is blowing up to, and, and we also have to give a quick plug out. We are doing a signal boost share on the nerd initiative website. So if you haven't swung by there to go check out all the content there, Uh, Make sure you do that and go check out what's going on with the ODPH over there. So a lot of big things are rolling out with our joint venture happening on new comic book day. Also, classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN, Uh, We have the directory. We have everything. Pat, am I missing something? Uh, How many providers are we on? Okay, that's a question, and you got the answer. Uh, 280,000. That's right, and it grows every single day. So if you want to stay in tune with everything going on with the ODPH, it's simple. Swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com and join in. And also on social media, remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, we have to recap. Is it safe to say now television's hottest show? yes especially with the numbers yeah break it down for us Pat.
1: yes yeah, so we of course we were talking about uh, the last of us the hit series from the folks over at hbo and also naughty dog and playstation uh which is drawing in scores of viewers uh so this past sunday's episode drew in 7.5 million viewers with people tuning in across hbo and hbo max uh reading from an article on deadline.com uh quote that is, that's a 17 percent increase from episode 3's 6.4 million viewers despite sunday's episode going head-to-head with the 65th annual Grammys. This is the second week in a row that The Last of Us has had some big competition after airing on HBO during the last half of the AFC Championship on the East Coast last week. Close quote. Also of note, uh, because it was reported by the folks over it, I want to say it was, yeah, it's variety. Uh, viewership on this show from premiere is up 60%.
0: That's amazing. Which
1: is insane, just because you think of the last kind of monster hit show, you know, season one was uh, House of the Dragon. Yeah, House of the Dragon so, you know, had a monster premiere, and then it started to dip off almost immediately. You know, It wasn't like a massive drop, but it, it did dip off. This one keeps going
0: higher and higher. This show reminds me in, in a certain way of the season debut of The Walking Dead when it came out. Yeah. And what I mean by this is this property had a cult-like following to begin with. Mm-hmm whereas The Walking Dead had a very big comic following. Yep. The Last of Us is based off the Naughty Dog hit video game franchise. There are people that wanted to tune in to see how faithful it was to the video game. Oh, yeah. And the video game, if you've never played it, is very highly acclaimed. Yeah. Tons of awards. Yeah, it's it's a a walking force of nature in its own right. So when it was announced it was going to be coming to the small screen via HBO Max, a lot of people were very skeptical about what they were going to see. And the only thing we knew is Pedro Pascal, who is going to have probably the biggest year of anybody in Hollywood right now. Oh, yeah, yes. is. He's playing the lead role of Joel and also in the co lead role of Ellie, of Ellie is Bella Ramsey, who we know from Game of Thrones. And after that, it was kind of wide open of how the series was going to be because at the end of the day, it's just basically how people are trying to survive this fungus-esque infection mm-hmm. that is now spreading through the world and really making it into a nightmarish playing field. Yeah. And there is a lot of mystery that's going on with this. But to see this come from a video game world to the pop culture audience and how everybody has gravitated towards this. That's why I say the comparison is there with The Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. That you have something that was with a niche fandom. And let's be honest, it was a niche fandom. Yeah. But now it is crossed over to that pop culture audience where you're having people that don't play video games Mm -hmm. watch this show. Yeah and are going, okay, what's going on here? I want to find out more about this.
1: And I think part of that lends credence to just how good the story is and and just, you know, it's it's based in reality. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not something as wild as, say, like a Kingdom Hearts where you've got Disney characters running around and giant swords that look like keys, and it's not anything as you know crazies maybe like a final fantasy or elder scrolls or or even you know like a halo to a certain degree you mm-hmm. know because while halo yeah there are humans and yeah there are weapons but you also got to like okay there's aliens and all this other stuff so like you kind of got to suspend disbelief a little bit there and obviously you got to suspend a little bit of disbelief with last of us and in, in zombies and whatnot but it's just it's it's acceptable it's believable it's like okay You know, not all of us are, you know, PhD level scientists. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sitting there, I'm not gonna look into the science of this stuff. I'm just sitting there going, you know what? This could possibly happen.
0: It's weird when you're watching it and you could go, This makes sense. Yeah. In a weird, weird way. Yeah. You're you're going like, This could really happen. Mm -hmm. Like and the same thing in a in a strange sense to The Walking Dead. Yeah. That's why I say you can draw the comparisons there, but I think it stops at that point, because this show has really developed a movement on its own. And it's not going off a lot of source material. It's going off of the story that you know Neil Druckmann has created for the show mm-hmm. and expanded on a lot of areas from these characters from the video game and really are taking the story into, I don't want to say Uncharted water, but it has a loose frame that's built around. Yeah. So fans are jumping in and saying, okay, I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of the performances of Ramsey and Pascal. Mm -hmm. Where is this all going to go? And I think that it has such an organic connection with fans that you're now seeing more and more tune in. In fact, they're being very smart about reading the room. They're moving next week's episode to this coming Friday as we record to avoid the Super Bowl on Sunday.
1: Yeah, and for our international listeners who aren't familiar with the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl is hands down – no doubt about it the largest television event in united states history every year mm-hmm. that it gets yeah, multi like 200 million people are going to tune into it every night it starts at 6 30 p.m it doesn't usually end until what would you say probably 10 30 11 o'clock eastern Give-tick. you know so that's right in the heart of when they would air so they know the the viewership for this is going to be microscopic mm-hmm. and they know it's suicide to go up against it and and so even other networks that aren't airing the Super Bowl, don't go up against it. They'll show movies they have the TV rights to. They'll show reruns of old episodes or, or what have you. So smart on HBO and the, and the folks that uh, make those decisions.
0: Yeah, they read the room completely. And this is perfect marketing, too, because now they're going to have a day of social media buzz after this gets released. Yep. They're not going to be interfering with the game because social media is going to shut down to talk about the game and the commercials. Pretty much. Let's be honest about Pretty it. Pretty much. That's why it's such a media event for the Super Bowl. And to duck this and not try going up to head to head where you've seen other shows like The Walking Dead have gone up against it. Mm -hmm. I think this is a real testament to them really understanding their audience and really trying to say, okay, we're trying to get every pop culture fan to tune in. Yeah. And this is going to be something that we want to see how we build with because I expect them to have monster ratings Friday. Oh, I guarantee it. I don't know to what degree. I don't want to call a crazy number. But I think you're going to see another big increase. Probably, yeah. And, and then I think it'll be interesting to see what happens the following Sunday. But that being said, the show has been picking up momentum because of the, sh- the writing and the acting and the show itself. So that said, we need to recap last week's episode entitled Please Hold My Hand. Mm-hmm. And coming off the heels of episode three, there was a lot of expectation about what's going to go on with this. So... If you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. We do appreciate it. Drop a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. It does help the algorithm out a lot. What we like to do is do a spoiler-free statement. So we like to give our opinion about the episode we're going to be talking about. So we don't ruin anything for you. If you haven't seen the episode, we're going to put in the timestamp in the episode where to duck out. Because we give you a countdown as a last-minute warning. If you stick around for that, you're more than welcome to. But we go deep diving into the episode and don't hold anything back. So you have been forewarned. That being said, Pad. Give me your spoiler-free statement on Please Hold to My Hand.
1: Oh. Uh so the episode was good. You know, it wasn't necessarily as good as the last episode, but damn that was going to be hard to top. Mm-hmm. You know, but I still I still enjoyed it. It felt like a bit of it didn't feel like filler, it felt like a bit of setup, you know. Obviously the story, you know, for for almost the walking dead, The Last of Us, you know, it starts in Boston, we got to get out to Wisconsin. So there's going to be a little bit of traveling and journey with that. You know, and and obviously, given the fact that it's, you know, post apocalyptic and there's all these obstacles and all these uh, rundown vehicles in the way, it's not going to be a quick and easy journey. You know, so there's going to be some trouble. There's going to be some obstacles. And it felt like a bit of setup, and I was all right with that. Mm -hmm. You know, just because we don't know what to expect from this world. The only, like you said before, the only show we can really compare this to is The Walking Dead. Yeah. And they've by and large stayed in the same place. Mm-hmm. You know, for they stayed in the same place for the run of that TV series. They they never outright said they moved to Virginia like in the comics, but they were in Virginia. It was implied enough. It, it was implied enough. You know, so for the Walking Dead, they kind of stayed in Georgia. They moved up to Virginia, and that was kind of it. Mm-hmm. You know, but for the for the Last of Us, you know, they're they're taking some differences from the from the game. In the game, they end, they go to Pittsburgh instead. The, this one, they chose Missouri. Uh, you know. But so the differences aside, which I had no issue with, you know, it it was a little bit not as good, but it was still great.
0: Well, I think coming off the heels of long, long time, which is to date the best episode they've done of The Last of Us. Yes. By far and away. If you haven't seen that episode, you need to go check it out alone. Just watch it. It's phenomenal. There was going to be a situation of a letdown per se, but what I thought they did is (coughs) they went in the complete opposite direction Of that episode. Episode three was very dramatic. It had a certain tone to it. This one really played into the strengths, I thought, of Bella Ramsey and being one of the leads on the show. I thought she crushed this and really established the connection she is trying to make with Pedro Pascal's Joel. Mm -hmm. I thought that this episode really solidified it. You understood kind of why they're connected in this way, Mm -hmm. that it's now starting to evolve instead of just being an assignment to an actual friendship. Right. And I thought they played it very well while establishing the new direction of the show, and it had to go completely 180 from last week. Mm-hmm. I thought they did that and I really enjoyed the writing of this. It wasn't better than last week? No, but it was not entire it wasn't implied to be. So to see them go in this direction, I thought it was another win for him. And I'm really interested to see about where we're going here cuz I cuz I know I'm going to say something When we get into the spoiler talk Mm -hmm. that I'm hoping I'm wrong about, but I think this episode is definitely worth the watch. So definitely make sure you check it out wherever you can check the last of us out at that said in three, two, one pad. Talk to me thought it was a great episode wasn't as good as the last one but that
1: like i said that was a hard episode to top you know and like you said i liked the little change in emotional direction they took with it because lord they can't stab us in the heart twice in a row like that Mm -hmm. you know but it's it was still a fun episode i liked it you know i like the kind of tension and a little predictable at certain times where you know they're going through the town and all this stuff and i'm like all right x y and z is going to happen and x y and z happened you know but that's There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I like twists. I like turns. I like surprises. But sometimes I like things to be a little predictable. You know, it's a little to be expected. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: No, I really like this episode. The only thing that I was getting a little fearsome about. Sure. And maybe this is all the years of watching The Walking Dead. And like I say, I probably sound like a broken record saying this, but this is the easiest benchmark I have to compare with. I was fearing that we're going through another situation where we have another big bad yeah we have somebody trying to kill him yeah it's like Wasman's repeat to the Walking Dead and I'm going like okay I really hope we go in a different direction like I don't want to see the same plot set up see I don't some, see you know.
1: I see I don't think that's going to end up being the case I think it is going to be a quote unquote big bad but it's not big in all caps it's big in lowercase mm-hmm. you know where this is going to be a big bad for a couple episodes and then they're going to move they're going to move on they're going to go on their way whether that person lives dies whatever happens you know but i don't think it's going to be the case of like walking dead where like we're going to be on season 4 and we're still dealing with you know this big bad yeah i don't think that's going to be the case
0: i hope not and like i say i'm i know i'm probably jumping the gun a little bit about it but it was just like how this episode wrapped up i'm going like okay I only hope this lasts for a couple episodes. I don't want this to be a lingering theme where every time Joel and Ellie go to someplace, it's the same scenario. Like, that was my only thing that was kind of like, you know, just really like, oh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Because, obviously, coming off last week's episode, we knew there was going to be an emotional letdown. Yep. And rightfully so. And like I say, there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. Uh, Once again... Murray Barlett and Nick Offerman deserve all the awards for last week.
1: God damn, yeah, they do. Frank and
0: Bill deserve every single award on the planet for last week's episode. But this goes to show where Ellie and Joel are trying to now make their way to Wyoming. Mm-hmm. So they're leaving with Bill's truck. Yep. And they do tie back in a scene from the video game. That was yep. one of the DLCs Yeah. where Ellie is reading a certain um, adult magazine publication. Yeah. And uh, has a lot of questions, and Joel, yeah, is like, she does. and Joel is like, no, put that down, put that down, and she's like, wait, why is he, whoa, what is going on here? How
1: does he walk with that thing?
0: Yeah, and why are the pages stuck together? Which is straight from the video game, so I love yeah. the fact they kept that, I thought it was hysterical, just the, the comedic timing yeah. of, of Joel's reaction to this yeah. was perfect to Ellie's reaction. So you do see them starting to have a bonding moment, and obviously Bill left a ton of supplies for them. And when they have to go rough it in the woods, so to speak, Mm -hmm. they do this, and you see that Ellie is trying to make the best of a bad situation with a bad joke book. Yeah. And I love how she was just really trying to egg Joel on about this, and he's in there trying not to cave in, trying to keep very serious, and she just refused to let him. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought the comedic moments here played very well. Yeah. I really thought that they needed to do something different than last week. Mm -hmm. I thought this was a nice, subtle way to do it. Like, it wasn't over the top. Yeah. It didn't feel forced. It felt very natural to the characters. So I really liked how this was going on. And especially as you see when they set up camp in the woods, Joel gets up in the middle of the night and is standing there with his gun ready. Right. To see what's going on. And then you see him trying to make coffee in the morning. Yeah. Old school style. Yes. God bless him for that. Uh, and you see Ellie's reaction. Like, she's like, what is that? What is this? And he's like, it's coffee. And she's like, what, you, you drank this willingly? Yeah. And it, like, it's just. And it was, she
1: looks she looks at it and I think she even goes to smell it. She goes, this is what she's. So somebody's told her about Starbucks. Yeah. And she goes, this is what people used to get up for every morning and pay a lot of money to drink from Starbucks.
0: It was perfect. That whole that whole moment was perfect.
1: There was another moment, and in, in, I can't remember if it was before this or after this that I really liked. And it was a little small attention to detail moment, mm-hmm. and that was when they were driving the truck along and they had to stop and siphon gas. Yes, this was fucking brilliant, and kudos to the writers of this show and the, and whoever like decided to include this little detail because this is something you don't get a lot of times in post apocalyptic shows. Mm-hmm. So they're driving along, they're you know they're ne- they're in the Midwest, you know the Ohio River Valley, wherever they are, and they have to stop because the truck is running out of gas and Joel is siphoning gas from the surrounding vehicles and Ellie's asking him what what what's he doing oh he explains I'm siphoning gas you know gas is hard to come by and plus the thing of it is too is it breaks down after a while so it's almost water so we can't go as far as we used to. Well how far did you used to be able to go? Oh we could go for out you know 10 12 hours. You know, before we needed another refill on the tank of, on the tank of gas, mm. where did you drive to? Well, nowhere. You know, the fact that they because a lot of times, even in the Walking Dead and other post apocalyptic shows, you know, you see those scenes, you see those sequences where oh they're siphoning gas, oh they're looking for gas, they're this that. They never explain. That it, or or say they just it's implied obviously right it's implied that like oh hey it's hard to come by this and that but the fact that they're like no we need gas we need gas more frequently than normal is because it's breaking down and it's almost water mm-hmm.
0: loved no. it it was yeah no it was a great point I'm glad you brought that up had because it's a subtle thing but I love how they sprinkled that in there yeah because you, like you hit it a lot of the post apocalyptic shows you've seen on TV skip that part yeah. And it's just implied. And, and I understand why they do it, to save time for other big moments in the show. Sure. But showing it like this, it really gave like a, a bonding moment with them as well. And it also gave that whole father-daughter vibe. Yeah. That obviously with Joel losing his daughter in the show and really just shutting himself down, that now he's kind of opening himself up to care about somebody else. In that role, Mm -hmm. I thought it really played, you know, in a very unique way. And especially, like you say, you start seeing that, too, because Bella's been without her family. So she's looking for somebody to gravitate towards, too, as well. Right. Because, obviously, when you live in the post-apocalyptic world, as they do, you you need some kind of family around you to just get through this. Mm -hmm. So I thought they played it very well with this. And especially, like, this was a theme that kind of went on throughout this entire episode, too, as well. Because once you see them start traveling again... They make their way to Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And this is where I thought things got interesting. Yeah. And I thought it also made a lot more sense because there was a quick scene earlier in that whole montage where you see Joel trying to teach Ellie about holding a gun. Yep. And he does give her a pistol just as like a last resort protection. Yeah. So as they're traveling through Kansas City, you see that there is a person in the street that's asking for help. Right. And Ellie's like, oh, are we going to go help him? We're going to help him being very optimistic. And Joel is like, nope, absolutely not. No. So he drives past and she's like, well, what are you doing? He needs help. He's hurt. And the minute they drive past, something comes flying at the windshield. Yeah, I think it was like a piece of a cinder
1: block or like a whole cinder block.
0: Mm -hmm. And then there's spikes on the ground to pop the tires on the truck. Yeah, It was like two
1: by fours laying across the entire road with nails poking out of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they are set up to be robbed. All because she couldn't read a goddamn map. Yep,
1: because because they, they're going down the interstate, the bridge through the town, the tunnel through the town or whatever on the interstate's blocked. They can't get through, so they're going to double back and and find another way through. They're navigating through the city, and she's like turning the map in every direction. And he's like, "What? You don't know where we are?" And she's like, "Listen, I only I only got in a car like a couple days ago."
0: Yeah. So he has to remember, like I say, everybody's. He has to remember too, like I say, everybody does that. Not everybody is used to this post apocalyptic world, right? So it's a lot of this is learning on the fly. Well, and especially like they lost technology in
1: 2003, so they were still printing off maps from MapQuest. Yeah, there was no GPS, there was no satellite navigation built in cars, you know. So he's got this like the back of his hand because of, hey, that's what they ha- had to do.
0: Her, on the other hand, yeah, she ain't used to it, knows, but he knows how vital she is to the mission because she's the only one that survived a, a bite and has not become infected. Yep. So the fact that she is the most valuable person on the planet right now. She's the MVP. Yeah. Joel has to do whatever he has to do to to keep her alive. And then you see this great action sequence, too, Yeah, where the truck is smashed through a building. They're getting shot at by this group that I believe is called Bandits. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And you see that they're going back and forth. Joel is sitting there trying to hold them off. He tells Ellie to go for cover through a hole in the wall. Yep, that only she can fit through. Right. Convenient. Yeah, completely convenient too and you see him take out two of the attackers but one of them gets through mm-hmm. and they start wrestling and the one overpowers joel yeah and he starts choking him
1: with like the barrel of the gun yeah against his throat
0: yeah so joel is getting killed here and ellie makes a split second decision yep and pad what does she do she sneaks
1: through she sees well she hears what's going on she sneaks through the little hole in the wall she starts kind of sneakily trying to come up behind him. Although let's be honest, she was making some noise. Dude should have heard her, but he was distracted. Uh, and she pulls out the pistol, goes up behind him and shoots him in the, I want to say it was the shoulder or the
0: arm. Yeah. It wasn't a kill shot. No, it wasn't a kill shot. It was up high. So it was a very interesting moment here because Joel is in there like, what are you doing? And she's like, I just saved your life. Like, what do you want? So they wind up having to go escape. Meanwhile, while this is going on, you're starting to catch wind that there's somebody that is in charge of this group mm-hmm. that is not happy with what has transpired. Mm-hmm. And that is a character by the name of Kathleen, who's played by uh, Melanie Linsky. Uh,
1: and if this face looks familiar, because God damn it, it did to me, uh, she played Rose on Two and a Half Men. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, that's Rose from Two and a Half Men. Get out! Yeah, uh, she was also uh, Michelle Pearson from Togetherness, uh, Julie uh, Bingham from Up in the Air, uh, Pauline Parker from Heavenly Creatures, and also Annie from The Intervention. But yeah, I knew her from Rose in Two and a Half Men. I didn't put it together. I'm, I, it was bugging the shit out of yeah, me. Yeah, she looked really familiar. I'm but, yeah. sitting there going, this, this woman looks really goddamn familiar. So I start doing some internet searching, and you know, I'm like, oh, sh- oh shit, that's who it is. Yeah,
0: that's wild. I legit did not put it together. I'm like, she looks really familiar, but obviously downplayed because of the post-apocalyptic world they live in. See what happens after chasing Charlie for all those years? (laughs) Facts. Absolute facts. But she comes over and she sees that there's the dead bodies lying around, and she's trying to rally the troops that are there, so to speak. And she kind of comes up with like a weird conspiracy theory.
1: Yeah, well, there's this dude she's interviewing, and it's he's like a doctor. Or something. Yeah, and and she she wants him for all sorts of bad reasons, and he's he's whatever she thinks he did, he's got nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. He's like, listen, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what any of this is about. Yada yada. And she goes, well, clearly this is some government force or some you know military guerrilla force come to get him, and and they're gonna kill us all. We got to do this, and and she. Just then there at the drop of a hat goes alright you guys go this way you guys go that way me I'm gonna go take care of this guy and she shoots the doctor in the head
0: yeah it's a really weird setup for that I gotta admit yeah like I was a little confused about like what the gameplay was because she kept like asking like can you save him and she, he's like I can't yeah so she winds up killing him yeah so it was like alright do you not understand like he's already been killed he's, he was already looking dead oh yeah he was, he was bad yeah so like there was nothing left to save at this point so it's kind of an interesting ca- flaw to her character mm-hmm. that we're gonna have to wait to see as the episodes progress forward. Yeah, of what's going on. So real short trigger finger. Yeah, absolutely. So how this is gonna play into our pair on the on the run now is kind of interesting. But they wind up breaking into what appears to be like an apartment complex. Yeah, and they have like another bonding moment too because Joel is in there smashing glass. And
1: oh, oh by the way, they're up thirty-two or thirty-three floors. Yeah and he starts like you said he starts breaking glass and as a like a booby trap to like wake them up if somebody breaks in and i'm like dude you're 30 some odd floors up who the fuck's going to go that high yeah
0: but you you don't know what's going on in the, in don't, a brand new city just don't do like fellowship of the ring and lightning campfires yeah <laughs> exactly but they have another cool bonding moment too where you see Joel is actually laughing at the jokes yeah of Ellie cuz he's just kind of like you know accepting like they're in this together they're family So to speak, like they literally are the last of, you know, what they know of the Mm -hmm. real world, because now they're in a situation where they're public enemy number one. Yeah. And for really no reason, which is kind of an odd situation. But you do see that they are taken by surprise because you see two gentlemen are in the room Mm -hmm. and sneak around the glass, the trap that's set up, mm-hmm. and that is Henry and his brother Sam. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see how this played. Henry is played by Lamar Johnson, who has a little bigger story in the in the show, so to speak, that we've been hearing about. Okay. Kevion Woodward is Sam. Okay. And you are just going to kind of hear about what they're going on with because it appears that they are fighting with Kathleen,
1: well, I kind of gathered that based on she wants his head on a pike.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see how this is, is really going on. And Kathleen's only confident is a gentleman by the name of uh, Perry. That's yeah, her second in command. Yes. And he's played by Jeffrey Pierce. And, yeah, he looks like the Daryl Dixon of this world. A little bit. Or more like Beta from Ooh. Walking Dead. Yeah, that's a good like am I'm, I'm Kind of more of the enforcer type. And she is just basically, like, saying, like, Okay, we need to deal with this, but we have to go find Henry first. And if Henry's sending people to attack us, we have to be a step ahead. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like this weird chess setup that they're doing. Yeah, yeah. But now you see Joel is captured, so to speak, by Sam and Henry. Yep. Because they're now held at gunpoint as the episode ends. Mm-hmm. And it leaves a lot open to interpretation. Because, like I say, we don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I've had some people message and say, like, you know, Henry has a bigger story in the video game. I'll admit I don't know that much about the video game to be, you know, completely transparent with everybody. But, like I say, I'm, I'm hearing that he's got a bigger story to play out with Kathleen. <coughs> so to see how this is going to be set up, I do like it if they want to try having Joel have some, you know, backup as he tries fighting his way out of Kansas City with Ellie being safe. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot to – is open-ended and that's good if they're just setting up this initial arc
1: well they're they're setting up the initial arc and they're setting up things larger we know it's been renewed for season two so yeah. it's got at least one more season who knows past that so you know we can we can really play the let's take our time with this you know we don't necessarily rush there is you know nine episodes in the in the series you know so we're just past or you know we're just past the halfway point i guess you could say mm-hmm. you know so there's real no need to rush to get to where a certain point at the end we can take our time with this
0: yeah and it's smart to do I think the team behind this knows it because, I mean, honestly, there's only so many video games of this franchise. Right. Two, no, only...
1: but they've said there could,
0: they could possibly be a third game. Oh, I think they have to do a third now with the popularity of the show. Right. I think if they're smart about this, even if it's a prequel or something. Right. If you do Last of Us 3 yeah, and you drop that, you're going to be doing Call of Duty numbers.
1: Well, I don't know what Naughty Dog is doing these
0: days. Yeah, like I say, I don't I don't know that aspect of them, but I would say this. If you have the chance to capitalize on the momentum of this show and if you can get a video game out relatively soon, like if you had been pre-planning this with the show coming out, which they should have been doing. Right. If you can drop something relatively soon, you're going to be doing big numbers because people will just pick up the game to find out more about the story. It's sort of like with Game of Thrones, people were buying the books to try figuring out what was going to happen uh-huh. and then well uh, you know obviously what what transpired in the show we don't we don't need to get into that we need to stay positive <laughs> but that's going to be the situation they're gonna have to think about because if you have tv's biggest show going on right and it's only slated to go through mid-march right and then we don't know how soon season two will come back right i would figure not next year but probably the year after you'd have to think or unless you know Dep- it depends on how
1: fast they can turn this around
0: well, it also depends on how uh, Pedro Pascal's schedule too.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Because when you have one of the biggest names in Hollywood yeah, right now, and he has a lot of projects coming out, right? You you really have to juggle around when you can get him on the show, and, and everybody else too. I mean, I'm just, Bella Ramsey's become a big name in Hollywood yeah. too now, so yeah, I know that she's having a lot of work thrown at her. Well, now that I think about it with the video games. Uh, the only thing I
1: think Naughty Dog has going is they're doing an- another re-release for part one and part two for PlayStation five, mm. but that's not exactly the most like in depth, like hands-on thing. You know, it's not like there, there's certainly a team working on it, but is it all of naughty dog? Probably
0: not. No, but that's why I say. Cause it's a, it's a remaster. They'd be smart if they had something in the works. Like I said, even a prequel,
1: I'm, I'm sure they're working on something yeah. just, just because, you know, it was in the news either last week or the week prior, you know, they're done with the uncharted series, you know, so there won't be any more uncharted games. They're, they're happy with the end of that. You know, I know they've worked on some other properties over the years, but I don't see any of the, any of those coming. You know, so Last of Us is kind of the only game they've got in town unless they're working on something new.
0: I mean, that's quite possible. I mean, I would just say, though, to close out with, you now have a show that's really carved a, a spot in the, the foundation of pop culture. Yeah. You really need to capitalize on this now if you're going to be doing something with it. Because I think if they drop the ball here, it's going to be tough because – You're right. Whenever the show comes back, you're talking about a good amount of time in between. Mm -hmm. And one thing we know about TV shows in this day and age, you're here today, you're gone today. Yeah. And sometimes the fan base doesn't come back right away. Now, I'm not saying they need to come out with something within the next six months, but you're going to have to really have a microphone drop moment for that season finale. Yeah. And you're really going to have to kind of tease when you're coming back with a show. Right. Because now you have people invested in it, but there's a lot more content coming out from other providers.
1: The only tough thing I would say for this and the only comparison I can really do for this is like when it, what it's like filming a James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Where James filming a James Bond movie isn't exactly like filming other movies where there's there's sets and there's studios and, you know, they can change this, change that. Bond, it's exotic locations. It's globetrotting. It's around the world you know to a lesser degree the last of us is the same thing this isn't exactly like some studio backlot in Los Angeles right that they're doing the paint and the makeup and all this other stuff to just make it look like you know they're going to be in Colorado or something like that, for example, sure. like whatever. No, they're actually going to be in these places they're filming. You know, so you got to do scouting, you got to do set, lo- you do location scouting, and all this other stuff. You got to get all the equipment out there and all this. So that's the only thing I think that might hinder them. It, were, were this a, stu- a, f- a show filmed in a studio, they could turn this around real quick. Oh, absolutely. You, you know, the only yeah. lo- the only long part would be the special effects and, the, and any CGI they got to do, you know, what have you. But the fact that it's, oh, we've got to get this equipment and the crew and the cast and everything else involved with it out to these exotic locations in the middle of Missouri, in the middle of Kansas, in the middle of wherever else, that's going to be the thing that makes it take a while.
0: Is going to, but I think that's why they did the early renewal. Yeah. I think that yeah. that's why, like, okay, we got to get going on this and quick because I don't think that anybody was expecting the show to do this well,
1: I figure. I think they figured it would do it well. Would do well. No, just, it would just do with, well. Sure. Just in terms of the translation from the video game audience to the show audience, you know, because they knew the video game audience is going to be built in for at least an episode. Yeah, I don't think they they'd uh, be sitting here at episode four going, "Oh yeah, the viewership is still increasing."
0: Yeah, like I think this is something that they're really going to need to figure out quick because if they don't have a plan ready to go, this could be disastrous. And I know you're sitting here going like, wait, how is this disastrous? It's the biggest show on television. You're only good until your last episode. And we're less than a month away from the final episode of season one. Mm-hmm. So they need to make sure they have everything lined up to come back strong. There's a lot of television on the on the horizon. Exactly. So if they still want to be relevant, which I'm sure they will. I mean, when the season premiere comes out for season two, that's going to be a monster one. But to really remind everybody about why to stay in tune you're really going to have to leave them on a high note. And I think they're going to, obviously, the show keeps going. Oh, yeah. So unless something cataclysmic happens, uh, I think they'll be in good hands. But it's something that to keep an eye on moving forward through the summer about keeping an ear out for when we're coming back with Season 2 of The Last of Us. But in the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Episode 4 of Season 1 of The Last of Us? We definitely want to have this conversation. So hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandi Fleets. And we're from Book, Book of Lies. Lies, the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves.
2: Scammers
1: and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar. And learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast. You can connect with us on social media Twitter at Book of Life Pod, Facebook, and Instagram at Book of Life Podcast. Bye.
0: Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And we finally hit the end of the road for one of our favorite shows. Although we've come to the
1: end of the road.
0: Yes, that's all the karaoke you're going to hear on the ODPH this week. No, this is not our sing-along. This is going to be sending off one of the flagship shows of the Arrowverse and subsequently bringing it to a complete close mm-hmm. on the CW because as we are recording, it is the Season 9 premiere of The Flash. Yeah. The long-running DC Comics adaptation of Barry Allen, the fastest man alive played by Grant Gustin and a whole cast of characters in Central City. Has really ran its course. Yeah, it has. A lot of puns intended here. Because for where this show started to where it is now, uh, it's gone through a lot of changes, I will say. Because first it came off as a spinoff of Arrow, which was the Stephen Amell flagship show based off Oliver Queen. And really kind of spiraled into the genesis of the CW Arrowverse, which had shows such as Legends of Tomorrow, Black Lightning, Batwoman, Stargirl. Supergirl on it and really kind of gave DC comic fans a shared universe. Which was wild to think of. Oh, absolutely. Because you think about at the time, they really never had this. No. And to see that now it's rolled into this whole combined universe with big crossovers that they've had has really kind of set the tone of doing a shared universe right on TV. Yeah. It's also shown some negative points too. I mean, it hasn't been a yeah. complete home run.
1: Yeah, so not every episode has been a smash hit.
0: No, definitely not. I mean, ever since the show debuted in 2014, it really started strong, but it kind of falls into what we like to call the CW curse. About episode or season three, yeah, things start falling off a little bit, and then yeah. you can kind of take a look at each show that's been on the CW in the Arrowverse. In our opinions, yeah, we've had a long documented theory about this. Is just sometimes you hit that. Apex in season two, and it's like, where do you go from here? Yeah. Arrow season three, Razal Ghul. Enough said. <laughs> oh, Lord. Don't want to go back down that road. Please don't. Uh, this uh, episode or season three of The Flash was Savatar. Mm, okay. It was all right. If memory serves me right. Yeah. Um, it was okay. Okay, is putting it mildly. Uh, not one of my uh, favorite seasons to begin with. But for where this show has gone, it's definitely made an impact. On fans and really carried the DC banner very strong. For, yeah, you know for
1: for a good run. Yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, Arrow was obviously the flagship for a long time, but it always felt like a one A one B type of scenario mm-hmm. where, where you know they it was kind of like the Superman and Batman, you know, in, in in the Justice League. There was never one person who was the head of the Justice League. You know, in the Arrowverse, there was never one person in in charge of the Arrowverse. Even though Arrow is in the name, well, you know, but but regardless, you know, it felt like a one A one B. Both had their bright spots, both had their dark
0: spots. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the one thing about trying to do a shared universe; it becomes very tough. But yeah, where you have in the comics universe of DC Comics with a Trinity—Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman—for the Arrowverse, you did have a Trinity too: Arrow, yeah. Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl. Well, and we got to give these guys
1: the show writers credit because they were eventually trying to do a shared universe show with one of their shows being on a completely separate network yeah. that co-owned the network you were on. Yeah. So they had to jump through all these loopholes to to get Kara onto their Earth. Eventually, it ended up working out in the end because they merged the universes in a whole nine yards. But still, you know, the fact that they made it work despite the legal loopholes or the legal uh, hoops they had to jump through was kind of cool.
0: It was very cool, and it was very challenging at the time to think about, okay, where did this show go? Because obviously... This is during the peak time of the Snyderverse. <sighs> and this was kind of the anti Snyderverse in the sense that a lot of these shows at the time. Bright re- colors. Reminded, well, that too, but it reminded fans of why these heroes are symbols of hope. Martha
1: said, not one time.
0: Yeah. Not to our knowledge. Don't anyway. fact check me on that. Yeah, I was gonna say not to not to our knowledge, but it all goes to the performances of Stephen Amell as Oliver Queen, yeah. and Grant Gustin as Barry Allen that really set that tone moving forward. And when season one of The Flash came out, it was a smash hit. Yeah, it was of you know epic proportion. In fact, it, it was overshadowed by the announcement of Ezra Miller. Being in yeah. the Flash movie, or the Justice League movie, I think. Yeah, announced
1: the, the same day.
0: Yeah, which I know ruffled a lot of feathers, and rightfully so. Oh, God, yeah. I don't want to say that there wasn't anything, you know, not justified in that anger moment. Yeah. Because the show was really carving its own niche and really making its play, too. And when you start seeing that, okay, it was considered to be a secondary universe, the fact that it went on for nine years. Right. Like, we have to give the the credit where it's due because, like I said, you had the strong performance of Stephen Amell and Grant Gustin as Barry Allen and then Melissa Benoist as, you know, Kara Supergirl.
1: Right. Well, and the writers for all of the shows tried doing the best that they could to make the shows as great as they could be, just there were outside factors, you know, kind of putting their hands in the cookie jar. Because let's yeah. not forget, was it Arrow? I think it was Arrow where we had the Suicide Squad yep. show up one season. but then, Two seasons, actually. Two seasons. But then they got, quote-unquote, written off, disappeared because... You know, uh, DC Warner Brothers wanted to use them for the movie, and they're like, well, they can't be on two things at the same time, despite the fact these are two separate universes, so you can't use them anymore. Yeah. You know, know, so the show writers and, and Greg Berlanti and everybody involved are, like, trying to make these smash hit successful television shows, you know, where the ratings are the only number you have to show for how successful you are. There's no return on investment box office for these for these things mm. you know we're not paying money directly to warner brothers dc you know to say hey we like these we these shows you know so they're trying to make a successful show and dc was putting their grubby little paws in it
0: yeah i mean it was just one of those situations that it's tough when you try doing a show but you have a lot of moving parts yeah and a lot of investments from big firms such as you know wb that you can only do so much with the powers you're given but this show really made it work for the most part and really reminded fans of how great of a hero Barry Allen is. Gave him a great supporting cast. Candace Patton is Iris West Allen.
1: Made me care about the Flash.
0: Yeah. Because I'll be
1: honest, you know, Flash is featured a little bit in Smallville, but it was a couple episodes. It was not the, never anything super extensive. You know, and then in, in Justice League, he was there, but I was kind of like, okay, yeah, he he was the comedic uh, he was the comedic relief in, in Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Uh, fun fact, voiced by Michael Rosenbaum. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, and then you think back to Super Friends. He had a, he had a piece in Super Friends, but I was never that invested into his character. I was like, okay, he runs fast, cool, whatever. You know, so you get to the Flash, and obviously I'm invested because it's the Arrowverse; it's branching off of that. Everything's connected. You know, it made me care about the Flash.
0: Well, it's the one thing that knowing the history of the Flash and one of the long-standing heroes of the DC Comics universe, to see the transition to live action has been, you know, hit and miss. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember there was the show in the '90s with John Wesley Shipp as Barry yes. Allen, which I thought was very good for for its time. I'll say for the for the time, yeah, for the time it was. But does it hold up now? Yeah, Probably not. Not not so much. But I thought they paid great homage with bringing John Wesley Shipp yes. back as you know as. Uh, Jay Garrick. Jay Garrick, yeah. So I thought they did a great job doing that, but I think it also reminds like fans that like the Flash is one of those characters that is always going to be important to DC comic fans. Oh yeah, and, and comic fans in general. There's a reason he keeps getting featured a lot in those main stories. Yeah, because he, he's a he's a very important part of the DC Comics universe, and you can say whatever you want about like the current state of it. Sure. I know some fans are you know always kind of very skeptical, especially with how many reboots they do with yeah. DC, and that's something we've talked about too. But even now, and I know this is going to be very small scale, and I know I'm kind of getting a little off track, so to speak. You think about the Cheersies awards we did this year, okay? With Brian Wayne from Cheers to Comics, shout out to him, and we had the write-ins for best writer and and, yeah. Com- and comics, yeah. You would be surprised at how many people wrote in The Flash and Jeremy Adams, who's doing a lot of work there. And I know that he has a brand new uh, arc coming out, One Minute War, Mm. and I'm hearing a lot of good things about this. So, I mean, it shows the audience has always gravitated towards this character as long as it's been done right. And that's one thing that they've done very well in the CW show. And it's been a reflection of that, that for like you being a prime example, you're growing up in this area where Grant Gustin is your flash oh yeah you know and that's the one you're very familiar with other
1: actors be damned
0: yeah and that's just something that you're seeing as we're going forward and i know that there is a movie that's coming out (laughs) that allegedly allegedly and you know we'll get into that when it comes time around for that but everybody is benchmarking against grant's performance and and like i said he's had a very strong supporting cast with him kim's Patton is iris west allen Danielle panabaker is caitlin snow carlos valdez is cisco aka vibes and then Jesse L. Martin as Joe West. Yeah. You know, has been the quintessential group of Team Flash. And then on with their on-again, off again relationship with Dr. Harrison Wells, played by the one and only Tom Cavanaugh, who has just excelled Goddamn, in this role. So good. Excelled in this role too. That he's really kind of given a new life to it.
1: He's played like fifty different versions of the same character and each one of them are different.
0: Mm-hmm. And like I say, you've gone through the years of The Flash, too, who's has one of the best rogues galleries. I think that that would be the one negative I will say about this show. Yes. I think they dropped the ball a lot with the, yeah. rogues, with the rogues. Yeah, early on, not so much, but as, as time went on, yes. Whenever you're just battling a speedster year in and year out, yeah, and you have such a depth chart, yeah, that you can work with. Yeah, and you're giving one episodes to Abracadabra and Mirror Master, and you don't utilize Captain Cold. Now, granted, I understand the actor didn't want to keep playing it, or he yeah, had other projects going on. Sure, that happens, but there's ways around this. Yeah, but I think when you just so focus on Reverse Flash and Zoom and you know Savitar, if you will. Yeah, Godspeed. Yeah, you, you really start throwing a lot of stuff in there, and especially that you want to talk about Godspeed too. He's one of the characters that's from the new fifty two era. Right. So it's a relatively new one. So yeah,
1: they start they started delving into some of that newer
0: material in the later seasons. Yeah, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it's tough to connect that. Yeah. Because you have such a classic hero. It's a it's a modern vintage. I know I throw that word around a lot, but that's kind of what the early seasons of the Flash were. But then when you try modernizing it and you try adding different elements, it just doesn't connect. Right. So one thing that we've been saying to kind of bring it up to speed now. Is The flashes kind of ran its course, and so has the Arrowverse in this current form. Yeah. Obviously, James Gunn is taking over. Yep. We don't know what the fate is going to be of Barry Allen. This is true. We only know that there is something coming out in May, which I will stress this repeatedly. Allegedly. Allegedly, if this thing comes out, there is going to be changes coming after it. This is my gut opinion. Hmm. You're not going to hear anything about a recasting or anything else until after this movie comes out. Oh, God, no. And I think if you're expecting to hear them say something about that person in that role of not returning, you I'm sorry, you're not going to hear anything until this movie no, hits theaters. that
1: will ta- they want the movie to, despite everything that's going on behind the scenes, they want the movie to do well they want to receive a return on their investment for this movie. Exactly. And if they come out and say the person playing the title role in this movie is not coming back, well, then why the fuck would anyone want to go see the movie?
0: Exactly.
1: For as good or bad as the movie might be, if I know it's going to be jack fucking shit, you know, after the movie's said and done with, why would I go and see it? You know, James Gunn was deliberately vague, In his social media post a week or two ago with what was coming down the pike, he said that there's an Aquaman movie and a Shazam movie and a a Flash movie coming out. He didn't say if it connects to the DCU going forward that he and Peter Safran are are envisioning.
0: The only thing he says is going to reset it.
1: That's the only thing. And that the start of that reset is the upcoming Superman legacy movie. Yep. So he was deliberately vague because he knows he's a businessman. He's worked with Kevin Feige and enough other folks in the movie industry. If you say anything negative about a movie coming out, you're going to tank it. Mm -hmm. And you're going to hurt your investment.
0: Exactly. And he's not going to do that with Warner Brothers money. And that's smart. And that's what it should be. So for everybody that's so wound up right now about that. I'm telling everybody relax.
1: Right. It's I mean, it's like your favorite fast food place or your favorite restaurant. There's a reason when they put an ad out, they say, Oh, this new cheeseburger from McDonald's, oh my God, it's it's warm and juicy and and, and it's hot and all this other stuff. They're not gonna put out an ad saying, that's eh, all right, you know, it kinda sucks, you know. The the beef could be a little better, the bun's not exactly as as warm as we would like it to be. Nobody's gonna buy it.
0: Yeah. You're you're not gonna completely trash a product before it comes out. Even if you don't, you're don't, you not 100% all in about it. And that's where DC is kind of standing with us. But that's why they've kind of laid off anything about this show, too. And I think they're going to give this show proper due going into Season 9. That We've seen the trailer for it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, we don't have to do a full breakdown for it. But time I mean, travel. But time travel seems like it's going to play another big factor here. Yep. Barry seems to have a map book of the future.
1: Yeah, he went into the future, I'm guessing, and saw what was going to happen. And he's like, we know what's going to happen at every step in our lives. And he looks at Iris holding the book and he goes... You're gonna be get pregnant in three months. To which Iris is not thrilled about him having
0: the book. Yeah, which I is just how Barry's character has been.
1: Tell me, tell me, remind me, how is him planning these things out and knowing the future gone in the past? Oh, they've gone terrible. Yeah, so he has not learned.
0: He has not learned anything, and that's something that's been a character flaw of this show for quite some time. Every time he gets the great idea to go tamper with the time stream, yep. things get messy. Mm-hmm from Flashpoint to, oh God, yeah, you know, all other areas in between. I don't want to go through all of them because there's Even a lot. of his kids. There, there's, yeah, there's children, there's uh, Flash family. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot to digest. But they're going back to this one last time for the final season. However, though, there are some bright spots to be talking about with this. Yeah. And that's kind of what we want to focus on, too. We do know that there's some familiar faces returning. Uh, Kenyon Lonsdale is returning as his role as Wally West, a.k.a. Kid Flash. Yeah. We do know that Sandil Rathmamuri is returning as Bloodwork. Um, I'll be honest, I'm not super excited. Nothing against the actor himself. Just the character really does nothing for me. Yeah. And probably the big pair that we've heard attached returning to the show, David Ramsey reprising his role as John Diggle. Yep. And Steven Amell is coming back in some capacity as Oliver Queen. Somehow. Somehow, we some way. We, we don't know how. It's comics. It, there there are ways. Right. There are rumors that the Legends of Tomorrow team is going to come back. I've heard that go
1: both ways. I've heard they could show up. I heard they might not show up. I heard they were going to tie they're going to tie up their cliffhanger from whatever season they're not going to tie up their cliffhanger. So we'll see.
0: I think they do make an appearance. I think actually this season, you're going to see a lot of returning faces. Probably. And rightfully so. I think you're going to see Melissa Benoist come back as Supergirl in some capacity. I think that you're going to see the Legends show up. I think you're going to see more or less a fitting send-off of the Crisis of Infinite Earths uh, crossover yeah. they did. Honestly, r-
1: if we can get one more... Slow motion shot from, I forget which crossover it was, but there was some crossover they did where it was all of the heroes from all of the shows getting ready to fight the battles them to slow motion. If we can get one more of those. Oh, I think so. Oh, fucking, I'd love one more shot of that.
0: I think you're going to get that from this. I think that they're going to be smart about this. The only thing that we've heard coming out as far as ideas for this season is time travel is a big thing. Yep. We haven't heard who the major villain's going to be. Nope. And we heard that it's going to be a happy ending.
1: Well, the only only thing I think we know based off the trailer is that there's a speedster involved. Yes. But but what it is, we don't know. You know, the trailer is not clear on if it's Savitar, Godspeed, Reverse Flash. Like, we don't know. It's just, it's a speedster.
0: Yeah. But like I say, if they want to end it on a happy note, which I think they're going to. I don't think you're going to see any any somber goodbyes. No. I think they're going to just give the show a proper send-off that fans have been waiting for i mean my
1: my guess is the final shot of this of the show is going to be all of the main characters in in star labs alarm goes off and then barry and his kids you know go running off into the city and it's like one slow motion shot of them running through the city with the lightning behind them
0: i would love to see just the flash family running into the sunset i could see that that's what i want to see I just want to see Jay Garrick, Wally West, uh, Bart Allen, yeah, Nora, Barry, Nora, everybody just running one last time. Yeah. And that's how I think they should end it out, too. I mean, like I say, I'm excited to see how they're going to do this because we've seen that the CW can pull off a great last season. I'll say,
1: Stephen Amell put the challenge out to the writers way back when, and boy did they answer.
0: And I feel that Grant Gustin has done that with the team here, and I think that he's really challenged it. And I think especially if you're going to bring back so many familiar faces. Right. You have something in mind, and and I like that.
1: If the if the studio is going, the television studio is going to shovel out the money to bring these people back because it ain't cheap to bring these people back. Mm -hmm. You better deliver.
0: Yeah, give a proper send off, and then this officially ends the Arrowverse. Yeah, because
1: everything else is uh, over and done
0: with. Yep, Superman and Lois is his own entity, as they've already established. So we don't have to worry about that
1: spoiler alert. But yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, Gotham Knights. uh, Well, (laughs) we'll talk about that. I'm going to brave that for everybody. Well, that did
1: not get mentioned by James Gunner, Peter Safran, and I think that's a very deliberate reason.
0: I do too. One and done. But in the meantime, though, final expectations before tonight's season premiere of The Flash.
1: I'm excited to see it. You know, I'm expecting – I think it's I, I think it's going to be a home run. You know, I, think, I don't think there's going to be really a slow episode to be had because let's face it, you ain't got nothing left. This Mm -hmm. this is everything or nothing. This is all or nothing. You know, you got, you got to leave it all out on the table. So I think this is going to be one of the best seasons.
0: I'm hoping I'm optimistic. I'm hoping to see a lot of the good that I saw in the first couple seasons of the flash where you see the optimistic Barry Allen come through wanting to be a better hero, wanting to be a better person and really step up to the challenge to really establish why he's such a great hero. I don't want to see a lot of just rehashing Of forget me now villains. Right. And ones that are wasting time because especially now we're at season nine. We've been kind of sputtering to the finish line over the past couple seasons, in my opinion. They haven't been great. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Oh, you're right. But I want to see them end on a high note and really give that final stamp on the arrowverse that fans want. You bring back some old friends. You have that final moment of goodbye, that this is going to be ending literally a decade of television. Yeah. Ten years of people going to cons, being in fan chats, talking that fandom left and right of why you cared about these characters outside of the Snyderverse and everything going on with the movies. This show has always stayed consistent in trying to be the best Barry Allen. Has it hit a home run every time? No, but they've done enough fun nostalgia to really remind uh, fans that might have forgotten and introduce new fans into why this character matters. Oh, say
1: Christ, they brought back Mark Hamill for multiple episodes.
0: Yeah. No, they've done a lot of good, but they've also had their fair share of misses too. Yeah. We have we have, we have to be honest about yeah, that.
1: Yeah, no we do. They, all, they also the, the showrunners for not just this show but all of the Arrowverse did something I thought I would never see again. Get Tom Welling on screen as Superman again. Yeah. Got to um, give him got to give him
0: credit for. You got to give him credit and that's why I say going into this final swan song I really hope they deliver a high note, and I'm really optimistic to see what they do. And we'll be recapping next week on the show. So in the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag hashtag #GODIPHPod. What is your thoughts about season nine of The Flash? Are you still watching? Are you excited for this final season? What's your predictions? What's going to happen? Is it going to be James Gunn coming out with a reset button at the end? And that's how it all, uh, that all it, that's how it ends. I mean, that'd be amazing. But in the meantime, like let's say, let's talk about it. We got a lot to discuss with that. So we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back.
2: Hey all I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom. From movies to TV, video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom.
0: Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast and we have to recap a show that we were talking about and obviously we had a couple scheduling conflicts had to take a pause back but we're getting back into the show and that is Disney Plus's Star Wars The Bad Batch hell yeah so, I know that Pat has been dying to talk about this latest episode entitled Tribe, Episode 6 of the current season. Mm-hmm. So, let's do it like we always do it, Pat. Spoiler free statement on the show.
1: This was a fun episode. Uh, I think I if I would say if you watched The Clone Wars, you might have enjoyed it more than other folks, but it was still a very fun episode.
0: I think the show has definitely been a surprise for me. I've liked the direction of most of the episodes. I thought they really hit a high point with Episode 3 involving Commander Cody. Yeah. See, uh, episode four, I thought was a letdown. Even for me, that was kind of a meh. Yeah, that was a meh. <laughs> Sorry, just I don't care about seeing Fast and Furious in space unless Vin Diesel is yelling family. Family. I just don't care. And then, I mean, last week's episode was not bad, the entombed one.
1: Into, I, th- I think that was setting up for some more stuff down the road. Right. But there's, this,
0: there's some uh, implications there. But, but this one was an honestly a good jumping in point. Yeah. And it played into a lot of fandoms. And one I was not expecting, and I will talk to you in the spoiler portion of this about it a little more detailed, but I was surprised at where we went with one character. Oh. And I'm going, okay, I wonder if they're going to tie this in later episodes. We do know that as we're recording today, there's a two-parter that has yep. been released on Disney+. Plus. Yep. We'll be recapping that next week. But in the meantime, we have to talk about Tribe in spoiler terms. So that said, in three, two, one pad talk to me. This like I said this is a
1: fun episode. I think I've, everyone can enjoy it to a certain degree. I think you enjoy it a little bit more, not much more, but a little bit more if you've seen the Clone Wars because one of the characters in this show does tie back to one of the arcs in Clone Wars. You know, but still it was a fun episode and it was something we haven't gotten to see Uh, In Star Wars before, and that is a Wookiee Jedi.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, have we ever had a Wookiee
1: Jedi? In the old expanded universe, yes. There was one of Chewbacca's kids was a Force sensitive and did become a Jedi. So in the old books, yes. Uh, Probably some old comics from Dark Horse, there were some too. Uh, But in terms of like the mainline movies and, and whatnot and cartoons,
0: no. Yeah, I've never seen one before. So uh,
1: I w- yeah. So so the character Gungi came from I forget what season it was, but there was a younglings arc where it basically showed what happens when younglings in the Jedi Order go to build their first lightsaber, mm-hmm. and he takes him to Illum, which. Spoiler alert, it's turned into Skywalker uh, or no uh, Starkiller base later in, this, in the saga, you know, but they get taken to Illum, and then it's the process of them getting their kyber crystals and all this other stuff. And that was where he first made his debut with like it was like him and like four or five other kids. Yeah, You know, so that's where that was kind of his main story. And then he'd make an occasional like background appearance later in the series, you know, and he, he showed up for one of the episodes in the, what was it, the Ahsoka arc in season five, mm. but he was only ever mainly featured in, you know, that, that younglings arc, you know, so what happened to him afterwards, we had no idea and you know, never really mentioned, but now yeah, we found out
0: now. Yeah. It was kind of interesting because as you see the bad batch, who is a batch of clones that, are fighting against the empire, yep. going against their own programming, have kind of been like this really uh, pirate esque group, kinda that has yeah. just been kind of traveling around and and trying to stop the the empire wherever they can, and they wind up making a deal with the Vanguard Axis. Uh huh. Now, can you clarify a little bit what they're all about, or
1: man, yeah, no, it's kind of mysterious. Okay, we're not we're not really much known about them.
0: Okay, so they're trying to basically get a job set up. Yeah. You know, some I
1: think they're like a go-between.
0: Go yeah, it's it's kind of like um, from Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know who you're Grief, talking about. Grief Karga? Grief Karga, yeah. Thank you. So it was like they're basically having a setup man trying to arrange a job for him. And things are going on there. I know they had to kind of give uh, fake credentials at one point.
1: Uh, I I dug it up on Wikipedia, which is the Star Wars fandom site. Uh, It says the Vanguard Axis was a criminal organization operational after the end of the Clone Wars. The organization engaged in illicit operations such as smuggling, forgery, and slavery. It was entirely run by droids, which included its leader and headquartered in a space station. Mm. And, and that's really all there is.
0: Okay, well, that's fair enough. Because, I mean, that kind of hit the, the point that needed to. Because you had these droids that were trying to hustle the <laughs> Bad Batch. <laughs> yeah, they were. And, you know, things were kind of getting a little fishy until one of the Bad Batch, Omega, yeah. decides to break away.
1: Yeah, we know how clones feel about uh, clankers, as they call them. Yeah. They, they don't like them.
0: They don't like them at all. And, and then you see that Omega stumbles into these droids torturing Gunga. Yeah. And she intervenes. Yep. And when she intervenes, this allows Gungi to initiate his force powers. Yeah. And how does he do it, Pat?
1: Uh, he uses a force push and uh, kind of throws everything around, and then he eventually pulls out his lightsaber.
0: Yes. So once this happens, I marked out. I'm like, Yeah. wait, we have a Wookiee Jedi. We do. Like, what is going yeah. on here? But, okay, you have my attention, Greg Floney. Or Dave Filoni, I'm Flowney. sorry.
1: Dave Filoni. I uh, highly recommend you check out the Younglings arc now that I'm thinking about it on, in Clone Wars. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, David Tennant features in the episodes.
0: Mm. Highly well, worth the watch. That's definitely worth a watch. So you see the Bad Batch winds up helping Gungi yep. escape. Yep. And now is on their ship and basically is trying to go back home. Yeah, home to Kashyyyk. Yes. So as the Bad Batch takes him back to Kashyyyk, well, they walk into a little bit of a trap yeah. or a mess. How would you describe it, Pat?
1: Uh, it's a mess uh, because you have Trandoshan mercenaries uh, working for the Empire. Uh, and if you and if you go, hey, those man, those look kind of familiar. It's because it's the same race or species of creatures that uh, Bosk, one of the bounty hunters in Empire Strikes Back, is. Yes. So if that looks familiar,
0: that's why. That's yeah. That definitely want to bring that point up. So you do see some uh, familiar uh, yeah. themes going on here. Yep. But the Bad Batch is walking in there and basically is saying, well, they're with the Empire. We need to go stop them. Yeah, we do. So they wind up making a deal with some of the local residents there. Yep. And coming up with a plan to stop Uh the mercenaries. Yeah. And it's kind of an interesting thing because you see a lot of the Bad Batch members are kind of like, what are we doing here?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like, hey, we've done what we wanted to do. We dropped the kid off. Like, why are we hanging around?
0: Yeah, and basically you're you're starting to see throughout this entire season that the Bad Batch is trying to be heroes. Yeah. and Reluctantly. Uh, yeah, reluctantly, except for Omega. Yeah. Because she's just basically trying to help everybody out. Young, naive, and noble. Yes, which, you know, you got to applaud that. Yeah. So, once they have their plan of attack to go stop these mercenaries, this is when the episode kind of gets a little crazy. It gets fun, though. Yeah, it does. Because there's so many creatures on this planet, Kashika, that you are really seeing the imagination run wild with the CGI mm-hmm, team. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing, like, kind of these Praying Mantis-type yeah. figures in. You're seeing a lot of... It kind of reminded me of, like, He-Man's Battle Cat. Okay, yeah, a little bit. You know, a little bit. it's, it's certain characters in there as well, too. So, you're seeing this... This vivid world just with all these different creatures yeah, coming Yeah, see,
1: play. The, the animators definitely stepped up their game for this episode, too, because the animation in this and the computer graphics looked incredible.
0: Yeah, so at this point, they start going, and you see the, the planet is now becoming on fire because the yeah. one the one head of mercenary.
1: Well, he, f- he figures out that there's clones there. He figures out there's something there, and he's like, all right, we could ha- spend all this time hunting them, or we could just burn the place to the ground.
0: Yeah. That works. So he's just trying to light everything on fire. So this causes everybody to go attack. Yep. They lead them into kind of like a little trap because especially the mercenaries have tanks. Yeah, they do. And you see that the impulsiveness of Gungi kind of almost leads into a trouble. Yeah. But they wind up getting out of it. They wind up taking out a couple tanks, which is a big move. And you've seen that the the planet inhabitants are really stepping their game up to make a difference. here. Mm -hmm. And then you do see that Gungi and Omega break away a little bit. Yep. And they're listening to the trees talk to them mm-hmm. and give them advice about what's happening here. Kind of a little paraphrase.
1: Yeah, because one of the things the Wookiees believe is the planet is actually alive and can tell them things. Yes.
0: And you're seeing the setting up basically like they're having a separate trap to go fight the head mercenary yep. who takes off and is trying to lure everybody out with his flamethrower, which it for some reason I had Mad Max vibes. Kind of. Like the one guitarist on the back of the, yeah. the float there just yeah. blowing stuff up. Yeah. Kind of in the same vein. Like He's just trying to draw it out. But then once the Wookiee takes care of... The flamethrower with his uh, lightsaber. Yeah. It's kind of a one and done. Oh, it is. You know, at that stage, because you see a lot of the creatures coming in, they're attacking everybody. And they wind up saving the day. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, it might sound like this is a short episode, but they really drew out a lot of the battles. And they and like I say, it's a fun visual watch. Oh, it is. I will say. And then, basically, everybody just kind of leaves on a happy note with Gungi staying with... You know the fellow inhabitants of Kashika.
1: Yeah, because they're, they're not really explicitly clear whether the group he's with is his tribe, but it sounds like they're willing to adopt him and bring him into their tribe.
0: Yeah, see, I didn't think they—I didn't think he was, but they were willing to take him on because of what he was trying to do to help them out.
1: Because it was kind of like they're explaining, to him like, "Hey, he's just trying to find his tribe," and the elder looks at him and is basically like, "Don't worry, we got this." Yeah,
0: they said, "Yeah, we'll take care of him," and that's kind of like how the episode ends. But it's a fun episode. Yeah, though. it is. Like I say, it it wasn't one that spent a lot of substance. Yeah. You know, it got right down to business. It really established a new character which I'm ex- you know, I'm intrigued to see if they're going to bring him back. Maybe. I think it would be a smart play. I mean, I can see it. I mean, because it was something different. Yeah. And you know me, I like seeing something different especially involves the Star Wars. I mean,
1: hey, he's young enough, you know, he could show up in the Ahsoka series.
0: Yeah, which would be cool. Ahsoka
1: is familiar with him. Ahsoka was was uh, brought on the journey. Uh, in the Clone Wars with Gungi and the other uh, younglings to build their lightsaber, so she does know who he is.
0: Yeah, so it definitely be a fun moment to go see how it all plays out.
1: Pad, final thoughts on the episode? Fun episode. Not super like crazy or in-depth or anything, but like it was, it was a fun watch, and it had a lot going on with it.
0: Yeah, definitely a quick, quick watch, but a fun one nevertheless, so you definitely should check it out, because I've been hearing that the two-parter is a lot more serious and a lot more darker Yo. in tone. So it's, like sure. I say, it's going to be more of a depressing episode.
1: Uh, not necessarily more depressing. It's got a lot going on, though. Yeah. So, a lot of implications.
0: Yeah, so we'll definitely be talking about it next week. But in the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about the episode entitled Tribe from this season? Season number two of Disney Plus's Star Wars The Bad Batch. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Alan Dunford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw, and you guys are listening to the ODPH podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, Pad, what you got?
1: Got a couple things to talk about, the first of which I did not see coming at all. I never thought I'd see the day it would happen. But I was searching Reddit today and I discovered that the soundtracks for Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 and 2.5 were released for purchase and to stream on all streaming platforms. Ooh. Holy fucking shit. So, this is H- so HD 1.5 is Kingdom Hearts 1, uh, Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days, and then Kingdom Hearts Rechain of Memories. And then Kingdom Hearts 2.5 is Kingdom Hearts 2, Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep and then Kingdom Hearts uh, recoded, uh, So th- that coupled with the one that came out, I want to say 2020, 2021, hmm. which was Kingdom Hearts 3, uh, Unchained uh, X, and Union Cross. Every Kingdom Hearts uh, game has now has its soundtrack released. So we've gone from none in 20 years to like nine of them in 20 years. And, and the reason this is so surprising is I remember being a kid... You know, in 2002, 2003, when the first game came out and being in, I think it was like Barnes and Noble or Target or some someplace that sold CDs and seeing the CD and going, oh, my gosh, there's the soundtrack of this game I love. But, of course, being the kid I was and not having any money, I couldn't buy the damn thing. So then iTunes came around and I was searching iTunes and I was like, hey, I wonder if that CD's on here. Mm-hmm. And it was. And then I was like, hey, again, I'm a kid in high school, didn't have any money, you know, didn't have a credit card or a debit card to use for said thing. I was like, hey, as soon as I get an iTunes gift card, I'm going to buy that CD. Mm-hmm. And then I got an iTunes gift card either for my birthday or Christmas, and it was gone. It was not, a, it, you couldn't find it anywhere. Now, obviously, you could download it through other other means, and you could watch it on YouTube when, when YouTube came around. But it, they never released it physically and in the subsequent games after kingdom hearts one they never released the soundtracks mm-hmm. i had heard a lot of rumors over the years that it was some issue with the composer it was an uh issue with utada hukaru who does the theme song for the games you know but whatever it is they seemingly have solved the damn thing uh and now stream like i said streaming on all platforms apple music spotify i know it's on title
2: yeah
1: you, you know you can go listen to uh it's 187 i think. Uh, songs that got added. Jesus. Oh yeah. Well, the what is it? 1.5 is 84 tracks, and then uh, 8 uh, 2.5 is 10307 tracks. Okay. So between the two, it's uh, 100 and, 187 tracks. It's a lo- It's a long lesson. But if you're a Kingdom Hearts fan, hey, figured you should know because as of yet, nothing from the official Facebook or Twitter account of Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, because <laughs> of
0: course there <laughs> isn't. Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. But that's a huge move, though. Yeah. Very, but, very surprising. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, there's no real symbolism for it. It's not like an anniversary no. date. It's just. Well,
1: mm, I. It's no, no, because the the twentieth anniversary was uh, last year for Kingdom Hearts One. You know, Kingdom Hearts uh, Chain of Memories didn't come out until two thousand four. King of Hearts 2 didn't come out until 2006, you know, so it's not an anniversary. It's not anything special. Just apparently the rights clear. I don't know what the hell happened, but hey, they're here.
0: I, I just can't wait to between you and Tyler from 30 and nerdy. Who's going to be blaring that more? Uh, Probably me. Yeah, I was going to say, Tyler, you got your, your challenge has been thrown down. So I expect to see a lot of TikToks about this.
1: Uh, switching over to some Disney news, there was a Disney earnings call and uh, found out a couple of things, uh, first of which was for the first time since Disney Plus launched, uh, they had seen a drop in subscribers. They hmm. lost 2.4 million subscribers in the first quarter. Of two, How many? 2.4 million uh, in the first quarter of
0: 2023. Not sure why, but, hey, reasons. Well, you know, you know what? It, actually, now come to think of it, uh-huh. if memory serves me right, uh-huh they did the, the tiers for commercials or not? or am I thinking mm, something else is streaming?
1: You might I think you're thinking of Netflix.
0: Okay, Netflix. I uh, Netflix. I think just came out with the tears for ads. I know that there's been a couple different uh, price increases and such, but like, I don't think it would cause like that much. Like, no. I'm I'm sorry, my streaming stuff blends right nowadays because everything is just going up and right. going crazy. Yeah. So, if I'm wrong about that, uh, you know, hashtag ODPHBod, My apologies.
1: They did. Uh, Bob Iger did also announce that the company uh, would be laying off seven thousand people, which sucks for those oh, people. Damn it, you, you hate to see it, but yeah. they, there is some positive news. They did announce uh, three upcoming movies. Uh, one of which is Zootopia Two is in the works at Disney Plus. Uh, Frozen Three is in the works at Disney Plus, and this one I truly don't understand, but I'm gonna withhold judgment until I see a trailer. Toy Story Five, really? N- not sure why. You know, the fifth or the fourth one. <sighs> you know, the third one ended so perfectly. Yeah. You know, you know, the the toys got. Unless, uh, I'm spoiling it, but Christ, it came out an hour long ago? It's it's been long enough. You know the the toys got handed off from Andy, who was going to college. He was the protagonist, I guess you could say, from the, for the first th- uh, two two movies or two and three quarters, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they got handed off to uh, you know a little girl in in the third one. You know, so, and the, and the story ends perfectly. He leaves him with her, and it's and it's Woody looking at Andy as he's driving off to college, and he says, "So long, partner." You know, and the fourth one was an epilogue of sorts, if we're talking in novel terms. Not entirely necessary, but hey, it's there if you want to read it.
0: It does what it does.
1: You know, it does what it does. And, and just with, I don't want to spoil Four because it came out not that long ago, a couple of years ago. You know, but with the way Four ended, I'm not sure how you're going to do this. It's going to be interesting to see, but I'm not going to say it's going to be trash, it's going to be off. I'm going to withhold judgment until the trailer comes out. I'll might end up seeing it because first one came out in 1995. I've been watching this for practically my entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, so hey, I'm this far and I'm invested at this point. You know, so we'll end up seeing what happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I guess I'm to the point where it is like you really got to sell me on something if you're talking 5 of a movie. Yeah. And I I'm sorry. I just I just don't see it at this stage. I yeah. just
1: I just don't uh also going on today in announcements was there was a nintendo direct uh lasted about 40 minutes stream just a little bit ago uh some of the things they they uh showed off during the stream and i'm reading from an article on digitaltrends.com uh they showed off some features uh some gameplay from pikmin 4 uh including a new uh new tiny dog you know that's involved with the game uh they showed off an expansion pass for splatoon 3 uh they showed off a uh trailer and gave an announcement date announced date for Advanced Wars One Plus Two Reboot. Uh, it's finally coming out in April. Uh, Metroid Prime Remastered is out today. Uh, so that is a remastered of the classic GameCube game. Uh, but now it now supports uh dual stick controls. Uh and it launches later today and then there will be a physical that's digitally there will be a physical version out on February twenty second. Uh, they ended with a trailer for the new Legend of Zelda game, uh, Tears of the Kingdom, which looks, hey, it's Legend of Zelda. And yeah, it looks... looks real good. Yeah, uh, They they showed off a new DLC way for Xenoblade Chronicles 3, uh, Samba de Amigo Party Central, which it's this, like, party game with dancing and all this other stuff. If you're in a party situation, it looks like fun for you.
0: Was it like Mario Party?
1: No, it's, it's more like a Just
0: Dance kind of thing. Okay.
1: You know, that, that kind of vibe. Okay. Uh, they announced a game called Fashion Dreamer, you know, little bit of sim game where you're a fashion designer okay uh dead cells return to castlevania is coming out march 6th that is a dlc for the return to castlevania game that came out on the switch uh there is a game tied in there's like a strategy game tied into tron called tron identity Uh got an april release window uh ghost trick phantom detective comes to nintendo switch this uh summer uh investigation focused rpg Deca police was announced by level 5 with a 2023 release window bayonetta origins uh cereza and the lost demons segment provided an overview of its gameplay this is a prequel to the bayonetta games mm-hmm. uh, disney illusion island got a gameplay overview in a july 28th release date uh from the article quote we learned that fire emblem engage expansive past dlc wave 2 will be featured will feature classic characters hector soren and camilla wave 3 will include cromp uh and robin and veronica wave 4 will introduce new story content titled Fell xenologue uh, the whole bunch of other stuff. But most importantly, did not see this coming. Nintendo Switch is getting Game Boy games and Game,
0: really?
1: Game Boy Advance games. So reading from the article, it says, quote, Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games are coming to Nintendo Switch online. The base version of the service will include Game Boy games, which support visual Game Boy, Game Boy Pocket, and Game Boy Color filters. The launch lineup includes Tetris, Super Mario Land 2, six golden coins the legend of zelda link's awakening dx gargoyle's quest game and watch gallery 3 alone in the dark the new nightmare metroid 2 return of samus wario land 3 and kirby's dreamland meanwhile expansion pass holders will get game boy Advance games including super mario brothers 3 WarioWare: a war inc mega uh micro games Kuru Kuru Kurin, Mario Kart Super Circuit, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, and The Legend of Zelda: The Minish Cap, and they did tease and, and hint that there will be more games coming. I know for the Game, mm-hmm. Boy, game Boy Color games, they showed off Legend of Seasons and uh, uh, or the two Legend of Zelda games, Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages. I know the Pokemon Training Card Game on Game Boy Color that is very well liked and very popular got shown, and the same for Game Boy Advance games. So God damn it, I'm probably going to have to get a Switch.
0: Yeah, that's a ridiculous deal. That's more incentive to go buy a Switch. Like, Absolutely. I'm, I might consider it. Absolutely. Uh, and
1: then some Star Wars news. We did find out a release date and studios for Season 2 of Star Wars Visions. Ooh. Uh, so reading from an article on StarWars.com, this was announced last week, it says, quote, Star Wars Visions is coming back and on a special day for Star Wars fans. Today, Disney Plus and Lucasfilm announced that the second volume of the animated anthology series will premiere May 4th, 2023, aka Star Wars Day, exclusively on Disney Plus. Volume 2, building on the Emmy award-winning uh, Emmy award nominated first run of Star Wars Visions in 2021, will feature nine new shorts from nine studios from around the globe. The shorts promise to feature unique animation styles from a variety of countries and cultures, dep- depicting each filmmaker's specific vision of the uh, of the Star Wars galaxy. The stu- the shorts include Included in Star Wars Visions Volume 2 were created by the following international animation studios. El Guri from Spain. Cartoon Saloon from Ireland. Uh, Punk Robot from Chile. Ardman from the United Kingdom. Studio Mir from South Korea. Studio La, La Charette from France. 88 Pictures from India. Dart uh, Chateau-, Chateau from Japan. And Triggerfish from South Africa. Uh, and then it says, Dart uh, Shet Geo's short was created in collaboration with Lucasfilm Limited from the United States. Uh, so, most notably among that, close quote, well, most notably among that list is Ardman from the United Kingdom. Uh, those are the folks who worked on the Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run uh, oh, okay. show and movies. Okay. So, this looks super cool. So, the titles of these episodes the one from El Guri, which is from Spain, their title is Sith. Uh, then you've got Screecher's Reach from Cartoon Saloon. Punk Robot's title is In the Stars. Aardman is doing I Am Your Mother. Hmm. Uh, Studio Mir is doing Journey to the Dark Head. Uh, Studio La Charette is doing The Spy Dancer. 88 Pictures d- is doing The Bandits of Golok," And then Dart, uh, shut Geo, and Lucasfilm Limited is doing The Pit. And then also Triggerfish is doing Owl's Song. Uh, so, no, so May 4th is when these are dropping. So I am super excited to see this.
0: Yeah, I know. I love Visions. I thought it was such a cool visions take. Visions is so good. Yeah.
1: Uh, and then lastly, got some comic picks this week. because or no, Let's go, Pat. Or, so, got some comic picks uh, coming out this week that I'm going to be certainly reading is Star Wars Darth Vader, issue number 31 from Greg Pak. Uh, God, listen, it's Star Wars, it's Darth Vader. Need I say any more? Uh, and then also Star Wars The High Republic from Charles Soule. Listen, I love The High Republic. Everything about it. Cannot speak highly enough of it. Super excited to see this. And then lastly, certainly not leastly, Star Wars Hidden Empire from Charles Soule. Listen, it's got Darth Vader on the cover. Do I need to say any more? I didn't think so. Uh, and lastly, and certainly not least, we got to talk this, because, boy, this makes no goddamn fucking sense. Uh, the, the AMC theater changes. The, oh, is, do,
0: we, do we?
1: Oh, I figure we got yeah. to. give our opinion on yeah. this. Oh, so, I, got,
0: I, got, I have an opinion on this. Okay, let's go. So
1: reading from an article on Variety.com, it says, quote, at your next visit to AMC theaters, getting a prime seat may cost you a little extra. The country's largest exhibition chain is Rolling Out Sightline at AMC, a ticket pricing initiative based on seat location within the auditorium. Similar to music concerts, sporting events, or Broadway, moviegoers will have the option to pay more or less for admission depending on where they choose to sit in the venue. In effect, front row seats will be available at a lower price, while seats in the middle of the theater will be available at a higher price. The initiative kicks off on Friday at select AMC locations in New York, Chicago, and Kansas City, and will be expanded to all domestic AMC locations by the end of the year. Uh, There will be three different seat pricing options. The first is Standard Sightline, described as the seats that are most common in auditoriums and are available for the traditional cost of a ticket. Then there's the value sightline, referred to as seats in the front row of the auditorium as well as select ADA seats in each auditorium uh, and are available at a lower price than standard sightline seats. Value sightline pricing is only available to AMC Stubbs members, including the free, t- free tier membership. The third option is preferred sightline, which are the seats in the middle of the auditorium, which are priced at a premium to standard sightline seats. AMC Stubbs A-List members will be able to reserve seats in the preferred sightline section at no additional cost. Theaters that offered sightline at AMC are expected to provide a detailed seat map that outlines each seating option during the ticket purchase process, online, on the AMC app, and at the box office. Sightline at AMC is applied to all showtimes that begin after 4 p.m. at participating locations. It's not applicable on discount Tuesdays when all movie tickets are discounted to $5 close quote.
0: (laughs) This is hot garbage in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, it is. This is absolutely insane. I'm sorry. This is just my opinion of this. I, we, let's give a little transparency. We don't go to AMC. Nope. No, we've always gone to regal. Um, this just doesn't really add up to me. The, like,
1: o- the only time I really go to AMC or, or yeah AMC is when I go to see a movie with my parents yeah and they don't want to drive all all the way out to uh, Regal because for where I for where my parents live, a drive to AMC is, is like, shorter yeah it, it's about 10 minutes whereas you know traffic pending if my parents want to drive to Regal, it's like 25.
0: yeah and then especially for us where we record it's it's a very short drive it's a, hop, to skip and a jump yeah it's a it's a very short drive to Regal because we go record here and then we go right over to the movies yep so to give it a little transparency it's not like we hate amc by any means yeah but no. but getting back to this point why with movie theaters just bouncing back from the pandemic why would you go and try price scaling seats when it's Tough enough to get people to come to the theaters, uh-huh. in my opinion. Like, I'm sorry, like this just doesn't add up in my world.
1: Well, and, and some people maybe go, well, people, they're not having issue getting people to the theaters. Look at what how Avatar's doing. That's fine for like the average audience, but you got some folks like my parents who see maybe one or two movies a year. Yeah, you're gonna for you know, so folks like us. You know, we're going to see the movies, but we're just going to go to see movies at, at Regal more. Yeah. You know, because R- Regal, I hope, ain't going to pull
0: this stunt. I think if, if Regal did, I think I wouldn't be going to as many movies. Right. I would really have an issue with it. Yeah, me. yeah. Because I'm sorry. Like, I, I I understand what they're trying to do, and, like, you want to really try maximizing your prime seats. Sure. But at the same time. Yeah. It's not exactly cheap to go to the movies. You know what it probably is? It's it's probably a cheap ploy to
1: try and get people to sign up for their stubs, you know, uh, membership thing. I mean, maybe. Which don't get me wrong, it's handy and it's convenient if you go to see a shit ton of movies. Mm-hmm. And I've thought about it with the Regal one, yeah. You know, but admittedly, the Regal one's like twenty some odd bucks a month. And I, I'm we're sitting here in you know early part of February. I've yet to go see a movie at the theater. I've there have been a couple I've thought about going to see at the theater. Yeah. But I just haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. Yeah. You know, so for me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Somebody like I, know, we we know some people who do. It makes all the sense for them because they're seeing movies
0: constantly. Oh yeah, no. If you go to the movies all the time this is a it's a prime deal to go get i just struggle with it to say like i just i don't like the the price no s- staging with this i just no. think that's more of a deterrent because if you try going to get a, like let's say you try going to see a movie you're not quick on the draw to go get like when tickets yeah. go right on sale right i'm not going to pay more money for a bad seat that i don't want to go sit in well no, you you if paying, i perceive it to be bad. well no
1: so you'd be paying less money for a bad seat like up front you know, you'd be paying more money for what we where we normally sit in the theater because we know we normally sit towards like the middle or towards the yeah. back. Towards the back, you'd pay more money for that. But so the the lower ticket prices are towards the front of the theaters. But again. Who the fuck wants to sit in a theater with their necks craned up for two and a half
0: hours? Yeah, no, I'm sorry, I've your done doctor. That before. It's you're, not good.
1: Yo, no, you're not. And I and I sat front row corner with a buddy to see the first Spider Man movie from Sam Raimi in theaters because oh, it'll be fun. It was one of the worst movie experiences I've ever had. I, don't get me wrong. I love the movie. I don't regret seeing it in theaters. I regret seeing it in the front left corner of the goddamn theater.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I just I don't get down with it. This just our personal opinions about this. Right. Because, like I say, I mean, if, if this is something you think is interesting, definitely hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag go to I think everybody we've talked to has had the same reaction.
1: Also, here's the thing, too. you got high school kids working these places at night, and you've got other fo- college Trying kids. Trying to enforce
0: this is going to be a nightmare.
1: Here's the thing, too. is It's going to be easy to enforce and easy to get away with on a premiere night. So, like the Marvel movie. Yeah, or sure. Like Marvel movie, DC, Star Wars, whatever. The, the theaters are packed. But when you get to, let's just say couple of weeks into the theater's run, what's to stop a person from buying row one, row A, seat five, whatever it is. And there's nobody else in the... So they go and sit there just to make sure, oh, I don't want to sit in somebody's seat. But once once the trailers start rolling, what's to stop that person from getting up and going and sitting in row F, row G, or whatever, where they actually want to sit? Yeah. Because... Is the person, you know, because when you go to the theater, you get the person coming in and make sure no one's recording, they're checking on things, making sure everything's okay. Is that person going to come in with a sheet of paper, hold it up, hold the little flashlight up to it with a little red mark on, on the seating chart of, okay, somebody should be seated there, somebody should be seated there. Are you, yeah. if, if they're going to do that, you think the person's actually going to give a shit enough to do that?
0: It's, it's going to be a nightmare. I, I really feel bad for those people. They're going to try and force that. Oh,
1: and, and the people with the, the running tickets are going to get the, the the bulk of the flack for this. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's not, not it's, on them. It's not going to be the company. It's not going to be the CEO or the VPs or whatever. It's going to be, you know, the high school kid just looking to earn some money for college or just to go out with his buddies on a Friday night. Yeah. He's going to be getting screened at by every Tom, Dick, and Jane.
0: Yeah. Like it's, it's going to be just an absolute nightmare. So I'm hoping AMC decides to cancel this idea. And you know, and this is me personally. Like I say, this is our opinions. Yeah. If you feel strongly about it and like this is cool for you, awesome. Like, you know, let us know. We're, we're not unopposed to it. But this is just our two opinions of it. We've talked to a lot of other friends, and the feeling is very, very mutual. Like, this is just a bad idea in our opinions. But this is why we have those conversations with you, the ODPH Society. Uh, Before I go into my comic picks of the week, there was some late-breaking news that made me super happy because I like seeing awesome people win. Amazon has ordered the animated series adaptation of a certain comic book. Okay. Written by the one and only Scott Snyder. I've heard of him. and I've talked to him. Yeah, I've talked to him. Awesome awesome guy. Uh, Fingers crossed. We'll be talking to him very, very soon. Just going to put that out there. Just wait and see. Hashtag ODPHPod. But it's a book he did with Jock. And no, it's not Book of Evil. But oh, my God. That would be freaking amazing if they did that. No, it's Witches. Oh, okay. So according to an article from Variety... So you know this is legit. Amazon has ordered this an animated adaptation of the comic series, which is Variety has learned exclusively. Qu- um, this is all quoted. The comic was created by Scott Snyder and Jock. It tells the story of a 17-year-old sailor, Rooks, whose family has moved to a remote New England town after a tragic accident, only to discover that a burrow of monsters, ancient creatures that prey on their darkest fears and desires, lurk beneath the town, per the official description. So this is awesome. Congratulations to Scott and Jock about this. The book is very, very cool. And I'm super excited to see how this all plays out on Amazon. If you know anything about their animated projects, they've got a lot of cool ones. Uh, Invincible comes to mind.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: So I'm just hoping it all comes and works in their favor. So, you know, congrats to those guys on getting this done for them because that's an awesome deal. Uh, So talking to the comic shops, Pat gave you the Star Wars picks. I got a couple more that I definitely think you should go check it out on the DC comic side of things. I'm going to say this I've been hearing so much about The Flash kind of tie in our segment we were talking about Yeah, The Flash 792 so they're doing legacy numbering uh, The One Minute War Part 3 hey. so Jeremy Adams I've been hearing so much about I'm actually going to take a dive on this Roger Cruz is uh, doing the artwork on this book uh, if you know me, you know I'll definitely check out his stuff. I, I'm a big fan of his work. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to have to go back and check this out, but that's why I have DC Comics Infinite on Ultra, so I'll definitely be able to go catch up super quick. Uh, also, Chip Zdarsky's Batman's out, so you know that's always a great read. I've heard a lot of people talking about that book as well. And also Batman and the Joker, the Deadly Duo. That's the Mark Silvestri uh, series he's been doing. So DC's got a really good couple books out at the shops this week. On the Marvel side of things, now, I mentioned the pad off air about this one. Uh-huh. Because I know that he was not familiar with the story this is kind of, like, loosely based on. We have Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants. Okay. So this is taking over for X-Men Red. Sure. So this is kind of, like, how they're doing the Age of Apocalypse. So Al Ewing and Paco Medina are the team behind this. And when I asked Pat about this, he legitimately said, and I'm, this is not making fun of him at all. Nope. He did not know what the Age of Apocalypse was. Nope. So I'm going to give you just a quick story version of this. Okay. And this is why I think this is such a cool thing. The This is now taking place in the Hickman era. Back in the 90s, they did a storyline where Legion, so I guess as a spoiler warning, I guess, if you need it, killed Professor X on accident. Okay. Like he was trying to take out Magneto, but he yeah. did a psychic yeah. knife, fried Xavier. So the X-Men were never created. Oh. It caused this alternate timeline where Apocalypse took over and won. Ooh. And Magneto was the head of the X-Men. Right. It was a lot of different pairings of, of heroes and villains, reimaginative uh, takes on a lot of people. Like Wolverine had his hand cut off, but he was married to Jean Grey. Right. Like, it's a very cool storyline, and they did this for about four months. The book still reign true as one of the greatest X Men stories of all time. I highly recommend uh, Astonishing X Men. I think that that was one of the best books that came out of that series. Like, there's so many different inter- interpretations of the X Men line of at the time, and you gotta remember there was a lot of X Men books. So, what yeah. So, story is great. I highly recommend it. I, I at some point, Jared from Punch the Timeline and I are supposed to be talking some X Men. Maybe we'll be doing that on here. Maybe we'll be doing it with some other people. I definitely want to talk about this storyline at some point. That's how much I really love this. It's one of my favorite of all time. So let's fast forward to now. We're in the Hickman era, Powers of Ten. House of X. The reset has happened. And recently they did a Sins of Sinister book. Right. Where basically Mr. Sinister has accomplished everything. He has taken over the X-Men line. Right. We did this on the ODPH Patreon episode, so I don't want to go give away anything there. If you want to sign up and hear that episode, one tier, $2 a month. Enough said. But what it has done is is reset the timeline in Krakoa. So there's three books that were in the X-Men line currently right now that have been reset. The first one coming out now is Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants. That is taking over for X-Men Red until the end of this crossover. Right. So I know some fans were worried the book got canceled. No, it didn't get canceled. So... This is going to be the first one that really falls out of that book. I'm super excited to go check this out because things went completely crazy in Sins of Sinister 1. So I want to see what is going to play out here. So definitely this is on my radar to go check out this week. Also, on the Marvel side of things, Red Goblin number one. So a lot of hype is around this book. Uh. A lot of hype. So I know I'm showing pad the cover right now as we're talking. Ooh. Yes, that's different. Yeah, so this is going to be something a little crazy coming out of Venom, and you definitely want to get your hands on it if you are a Marvel fan. Definitely going to put that out there as well. From the indie side of things, though, you know we got some parlay points to talk about. First one on my list is uh, a horror book coming out from Boom Studios called The Horror, number one. So this is by Justin Jordan, Bram Ravel, and Pat Brousseau. And this kind of reminds me of if you've ever seen the movie. I know what you did last summer. Okay. Kind of has like that vibe where there's a mysterious figure that's lurking around the town and is on a mission and is you know basically has all, you know. It kind of feels like ulterior motives going on with this, but it's, sure. a, it's a cool setup for this. And if you're into horror comics, I definitely recommend checking out what Boom has been doing lately. Specs has been absolutely incredible. I love that series. This book definitely has that kind of vibe to it, 80s homage, a little bit here and there. It definitely has like a retro feel to it, retro horror feel. And like I say, I kind of compare it to elements of I Know What You Did Last Summer. So if that's up your alley, this is definitely a book you want to go check out at the local comic shops this week. Also from Image Comics, there is a book out by Rodney Barnes, who you know from Philadelphia, and Alex Linz. And it is called Monarch, number one. So this is like this wild sci-fi story that centers around a foster child who is trying to literally survive his daily life. Uh Uh-huh. And while he's surviving the elements around uh, school and such, there's an alien invasion. Of course there is. And things go completely crazy from there. It's an awesome read. I love this book. I thought it was really surprising of... You know, the direction it was going in, I was not expecting a lot happening here. Uh, Pulls no punches, I got to say that. So I do like that. And I definitely give a very high recommendation this week at the local comic shop. So if you want to go check that out, definitely swing on over and always support your favorite comic shops and your favorite comic podcasts too, because we all try doing in some great work as well. That being said, for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's all we got for this week. So the only Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken. I'm thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.